4: You are listening to the good news with angie austin find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com now here's angie austin with the good news
0: hello friend it is angie austin with the good news Have a really interesting good news story today dave said you consider it good you can may consider it good news or not it reminded me a little bit of my college years. so i because i really had some grit to get through college uh, and had to get creative and didn't leave with a single loan. In fact, I had $12,000 saved when I left college, and uh, you know, I paid for the majority of the school myself, got very little, very little help. Uh, so, we're going to share that story, introduce the good news gals. Producer Dave's here, Rebecca is back, Michelle, and also Jennifer. Rebecca Barth has a ministry she shares that she shares. Uh, you can find it on Facebook. Uh, uplifts uh, women and encourages female friendships and uh, ladies in general, just encouraging gals. And Jennifer is in the health uh, industry and is a bright light uh, as well. Uh, Reach out to her because uh, she's got uh, a wonderful supplement but also a really great business model that I've seen her really, uh, you know, become very successful over the last 10 years. And Michelle Betts is in real estate, but they're my friends and we're Christians. We've got kids and uh, we're just trying to do the best we can in life. And we hope that some of these good news stories that we share with you inspire you. Michelle, you put this story up on your Facebook page. That's where I found it. It's called Homeless at Humboldt. And it's about a bunch of kids going to college in California where it's very expensive to live. And many of them are homeless. And And they, some have chosen not to take out loans. And they're living in a car or a camper or whatever. What made you post it?
5: Um... I, I just posted it because I I actually admired these kids, really. I was shocked that 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 they would go so far as to live in a car so that they could complete their education. I just think I, I it's admirable.
0: I Some of done. them set up pretty well, I thought, like the little the vans, the car would the be The vans nice, the car to me.
5: and but seriously, it's one thing to live like that for a week or a weekend, or a month, you know, in between, yeah. you know, roommates getting fights, and you don't have a place to go for, you know, a couple of weeks, but to do that for three, four years, like I'm, I was just in awe. Well, and the systems they
0: come up with too. I mean, I guess in college maybe it's a little safer because you've got you can find places to park where you're probably relatively safe, maybe the library or whatever. And then they have like gyms there and showers and stuff like that, so you have pretty close access to things. You have a safe place to go during the day, your classroom and the library. Rebecca, you said you rented a um, a room in a in a trailer at a mobile home when you were in college, so that was probably pretty right. thrifty.
5: Very thrifty. It was uh, there were three women, uh, the one who owned the mobile home and then two of us who rented a room and certainly we were able to save money and I also came out of college without any student loans. No
0: student loans. I lived with my mom who was in low-income housing at the time and so I didn't have to pay to live there because they take 30 percent of your like adjusted income and so I remember she said when she first moved in there we paid 125 dollars for rent uh, because her mom worked in a factory and there were four kids and so, um yeah, she didn't make a lot. She worked storage tech, which is here oh in my Colorado gosh, storage was like tech. yeah, and it was it it's interesting. Huh. maybe that's why I'm so um like you, I don't know. Like as I became successful and became a news anchor and all those things over the years, uh, I think I've told you guys one of my girlfriends who was at the bottom rung of the hierarchy at NBC Four in Los Angeles, and I was probably higher ish because I was on air. Um, I had she was one of my best friends, and we'd go out to lunch all the time and do things together. And then someone on air asked her out to lunch besides me, and she said, "Oh my gosh, one of the other anchors asked me out to lunch. I thought you were the only person that hanged out hung out with people beneath you." <gasps> Ouch. And I was like, and I, I remember it kind of, what do you mean beneath me? And then she was, you know, well, you're like the only one that really hangs out with, you know, the production assistants, you know, like, you'll, you're one of the few that hangs out with people like beneath you. And they were older, too. You know, I was a younger, you know, on-air person. Right. But with that said, I think that, um, you know, coming from the background that I came from um, always made me appreciative of w- my roots mm-hmm. and never seeing people as different. Uh, because I I worked seven days a week all through high school and college and it wasn't a glamorous job at Boulder Community Ho- Community Hospital. One of my friends said I got ahead with a toilet brush. I got I became successful. You got ahead <laughs> with a with a toilet brush. Toilet
5: brush power. Yeah. yeah
0: yes. Toilet <laughs> brush <laughs> power. So with that said, um, so I lived in low income housing where it was super, and I didn't have any any debt. So that was really you know a big deal. So I related to these kids because if my mom didn't have an apartment in low income housing, then I would have. Um, Oh, but storage tech. Wait, I've lost that train of thought. So, the owner, I went to high school with his kids, and they'd come pulling up in Mercedes. And my mom's like working, you know, as a factory worker at their dad's company, you know, and I'm going to school with them. So, I really understood that difference in like prestige and hierarchy and money and finances, even though these kids had done nothing. Jesse was one of the kids' names, and he drove a Mercedes, I think. And here I am living in low-income housing, and my mom's a factory worker at his dad's factory. But, like, I never said anything to him. I'm like, I'd be like, hey, I live in low-income housing. Love you,
1: Mercedes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> I never, like,
0: said that. Yeah. No. And we yeah. traveled in the s- similar circles, I guess. I don't know if that I was popular because I worked so much. So,
1: It's All right. so interesting because, you know, I grew up four older brothers. Mar- you know, my parents were married until they both passed, 49 years and I remember uh, my senior year of high school took the ACT and SATs, and I was in all these college prep classes. And they never—my dad went to the eighth grade, and he was the oldest son of nine kids. And my grandfather had emphysema, so he had to go to work, and he was an entrepreneur. And had his own business and my mom went to the 10th grade and she came from um, a household where they divorced and she was the oldest kid so she was going back and forth, taking care of her two younger siblings. And it was, it was hard. It was really hard for them growing up um, and didn't have money. And then my dad, you know, had this great business, but I just remember um, I got acceptance. So I, I, I applied to colleges on my own. I'm like, nobody ever talked about college. My four older brothers, three of them got married at 16 because they got girls pregnant and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not doing that. So you were like the only one going to college? Yeah. I was, wow. but time out. So I get the acceptance letter. I'm so excited. You know, calculus. I'm in, you know, all these college prep classes. My dad's like, mm, girls don't go to college. Ooh. And I'm like, what? They don't go. No, no. Girls don't go to college. They get married and they, and, and, and. I was such a daddy's girl, and I still am to this day, and I love and adore my father, even though he's passed. It's almost 10 years now. Miss him every day. But, uh, you know, it's so interesting that I accepted accepted it. So I went to work. I went to work, and um, I moved out. Moved out at 18. Never, ever asked my parents. I know people are shocked I don't have a college degree. Um, and I'm okay with that. I don't that. think I even knew that. Yeah. And and it's not something I am uh, feel bad or I don't want to go back to college now because, um, gosh, how many years ago was it, I started going to all these personal and business development courses. You know, spent a college tuition like forty, fifty thousand dollars on all these personal and business development courses, because I'm I love education and yeah. I have always been taking classes, but it just you know um you know now I'm wow, like oh
0: isn't that wild though even I mean you're not that old for your dad to have said I, I mean know. that was like that was like uh, understood that I was going to college I guess you know what though only one of my brothers did. Uh, he went to West Point, graduated near the toughest class at West Point Military Academy. He's a genius. But he is a genius. I just always assumed I'd go to college. Like I was going to make something myself. I was going to like work my way off of the Maury Povich episode I was growing up on. <laughs> I was in a Jerry Springer <laughs> episode, and I was getting out. I'm like, oh. you are not my people okay i'm leaving you. i'm changing my name i'm moving to la i'm gonna work for nbc just call okay do not drop by my house do not try to figure out where i live i am leaving
1: see i felt that way about my family and then i found out at 32 i was adopted so i really was but. from
0: another family <laughs> oh my gosh that's so crazy and they did go to college when you found out at 32. oh your family <laughs> oh, well let's hear the story okay, it's rather long yeah but it's about i'm um, homeless uh humbl- you know homeless at humboldt and uh we'll see what you think we'll talk about it and there's two
6: parts I wake up back there and my head's in there and I slide out, sit down right here, compose myself a little bit, and then I start the car and uh, I drive up to the locker room, get a shower, shave, just, you know, start my day, start studying.
7: If you don't have credit, if you don't have a lot of money, like how hard it is to get a place.
4: Your parents, would they pay for an apartment here for you? Like if if would they would they cover the cost?
7: No, they wouldn't.
4: So this is your walk to school every day? Yeah. From the vans.
7: Uh-huh. It's amazing. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Humboldt State has a lot of perks to it, like beauty of the campus.
4: Jasmine is a 23-year-old college student at Humboldt State University. She's been living homeless amongst her peers for more than a year. Do they know that you're homeless? Do they know that you you know, don't have an apartment?
7: Yes, now, because I tell people, because that's how you find out who else is going through that.
4: She's a senior majoring in kinesiology on a full-ride academic scholarship who carries what would be her bedroom closet on her shoulder.
7: just like kind of a struggle. <laughs> so
4: show us what you got. You got your you got your I junior. got
7: my running shoes, pants for the day, and some pants to run in.
4: And like toothbrush? <laughs> like You have everything Yeah, in that's here. all in my locker. California's unaffordable housing crisis, combined with the rising costs of a college degree, is putting many students in a tough spot. At California State University, an estimated 50,000 students throughout the system are homeless.
6: Where do you keep your clothes? My clothes are in the locker room. Yeah, so I have two lockers, one for my clean clothes and one for my dirty clothes. Yeah, you you have figured out a system of how to do this. This is hacked out, for sure.
4: Nolan is a junior at Humboldt State, majoring in geology, but you'd never know that he's a homeless student torn between comfort and student debt. Is this what you thought it was going to be like?
6: You know, I didn't really have a a super solid plan. I just knew that I needed to get up here and start school. And living in my car was, I just felt, the best option for me. So on
4: any given night, how many kids would you say are sleeping in the parking lot? Uh,
7: On an average night, probably like three or four that I know of.
4: Jasmine has furnished her van with many of the household goods she would want in her apartment if she had one.
7: I keep all my kitchen stuff in this container. Can you
6: pull that out a little bit? Yeah.
7: And then I keep all my black beans containers here.
6: And your your silverware.
7: Yeah, usually I just get silverware from the school, like the plasticware, because it's just so hard cleaning stuff. And so this is from the neighboring van.
4: Some people might look at this and say, this is wrong. It's wrong that that students have to live like this at a California State University
7: the school should help educate students on how to apply for housing make it a mandatory thing that students know how to apply for housing
8: okay I want to say this before we get going on the conversation there's there's another part of this but the reason I said earlier, this isn't exactly good news. I mean, it's kind of good news. It fits with our show and what we're talking about. And I agree with Michelle that these this, these kids are admirable. They, they, they have are, grit. They do. I mean, it takes a lot of fortitude to live like that, to do that. They're following their dreams. They're doing all this stuff.
0: And they're not going into huge debt.
8: They're not going into debt. That's the next part They talk about that. Um, my problem with it, and the one that it keeps nagging at me, is <clears> – <throat> There's other options. You don't have to put yourself into this situation. I mean, it's not like geology is the best, most marketable degree that you can get. You can make other choices. You're just
0: like my husband. I'd be like, I like. And I. Oh, what I, are you going to make doing that? Listen, I'm like. I, what if they love geology? But
8: and it's not like you don't know if you're going to move to a new city and go to college that you're going to need a place to stay. It's not like you didn't know. But that you need before. a certain
0: amount of money to get in. Like that's what we're going to hear There's, about next. Like some programs to maybe help them out because some of these kids are so poor. But that's what I'm saying is, I mean, no, my I dad gotta, didn't really. I mean, he barely I mean, helped
8: me. My my cousin. Okay, none. Of, nobody helped anybody in my family go to college. My cousin went completely on his own, worked his way. He actually went to Humboldt State. He had to live with five guys you know, for a semester and then three guys for another semester, and he was always moving around. And it's like a big roommate-type situation, but he always had a place to go, and it's because he planned it out and he did right. this whole thing. And I'm not saying that these kids are doing anything wrong. I'm saying what what I don't like about it is the angle of the video in particular is going is like these kids want this dream and so society should help them out or the school should do well, it I for them. Well, I
0: get that. Yeah, there's a, you feel it has a socialist tinge to it that right. It's like oh no. these free kids, education. Like, it's wrong or... that these
8: kids are homeless and going to college. And I'm like, well, they get to go to college and they knew they needed a place to go. They seem like they've worked out a system. It's not necessarily wrong. They just made these choices for themselves. Well,
0: I, I would have done this if necessary to get an education, I would have lived. I would have gotten like a, I, would I would have, have gotten something right. better than a car. I would have gotten a van or something I could live in like comfortably and try to be safe. But. Secondly, I do wish that there was a way that, uh, and I'm sure there is, like she said, the kids should be educated. There's probably a way through student housing or something that they can get in economically with a lower amount of money per month or a lower amount of money money down or something in order to get started uh, to pay for a place to live. But I'm, I'm really not a big fan of a huge handout either because I did work to pay for my education and right. i really didn't get any help well and then there's people
8: like jen or like john rush is another one you don't have to go to college to be a successful person so you can the be society's very
0: society's kind of led us to believe that. Mean, at least in this country yeah let us i mean yeah, yeah. they tell you that but don't it's not even true. get me started but you on don't that. have to right
1: oh.
8: right right also everybody does you can not need also to go degree. to a community college i mean yes your parents yes. like she knew true. she said straight up and yes my parents won't pay for this so but she moved there anyway
5: Okay, but uh, uh, first of all, the kids are not complaining. I get your no, idea on aren't. the slant of the video, but the kids aren't complaining. Yeah. They're just doing their thing, going yeah. about their business. Right, they're showing how but they make it work. Also, um, if you've got a full ride somewhere, but not housing, and then you have to work and live with your mom to go to the community college down the street, but Humboldt sounds better. I mean, we, I-, I get that.
8: I wanted to be a movie star when I was a kid. And yeah. guess what? I made sacrifices and I compromised, and I w- lived in and my car. And that's exactly
5: what the kids are doing. And Don't I lived know. in my car. Yeah. And
8: I d- had to decide at one point where I couldn't do that. So I took a different approach to it,
0: life. So sometimes
8: that happens when we made compromise. We well, can't let's listen to purchase. part two and then
0: we'll use the rest of the time we have to discuss.
4: Why do you think there are so many homeless kids? At the school.
9: At this particular school it's the housing stock, Airbnb,
2: and also the policies and practices of the property managers in the area. A majority of our students are coming up here with no structure or foundation for them to, to settle.
4: What about taking out loans to pay for rent? A lot of students, that's what they have to do. They take out loans that pays for their living expenses.
7: I'm on a scholarship. The thing is, is like I've turned in all those applications, I've paid all those fees, still didn't get any responses.
6: I don't want that financial burden, right, uh, coming out of school and having to worry about that right away.
7: So it's like when you're feeding into the system and nothing gives you anything back, you know, what do you do then? You're kind
2: of just screwed. Up until about six months ago, there was no real support for off-campus housing.
4: The school appointed Shante Cat to help students She was a homeless college student herself when she first arrived three years ago, taking on $16,000 in debt. Do you think that housing should be a right?
2: I really believe so, especially when we're trying to consider retention and and giving people access to get out of um, economic issues and and come out of first-generation college education.
4: Hundreds of miles away at California State University's Long Beach campus outside Los Angeles, 24-year-old Imani Moses was homeless for seven months last year. How did you do it? I mean, in a small car.
7: So I just put my sun visors up and I just sat in the back seat and I just curled up into a ball.
4: The university helped Imani by letting her stay in a dorm room for a month. But this campus only has six temporary beds allocated for emergency housing at a school with 37,000 students. How many students do you think are going to need that every night I mean how many beds are you going to need
7: I honestly think it's in the hundreds in terms of how many beds we're going to need
4: the student body president says more needs to be done
7: students in order to qualify to be placed into an emergency housing dorm basically have to prove that they're having affordability issues and then exhaust all of their financial resources which include FAFSA financial aid and basically loans we're basically putting a student in debt at times to help them
4: we asked the CSU Long Beach administration how many students seek emergency housing assistance. They said they don't know, but the numbers are significantly growing as awareness of their program has increased.
8: So we're gonna run out of time. We can't listen to the very end, but it just goes on. It just revisits the guy at Humboldt who's living in his car. And he actually seems like a, he's trying really hard. He's doing, he's following his dream and he's not really having that big of a problem with it. But so that was where I said it wasn't, I mean, it's a, definitely a problem, but at the same time, I'll you tell you something right choices, now. Right? If you're seeing
0: a lot of privileged kids around here and there, how much time do we have? About two minutes. All right. I like the grit that these kids have. Right. That they're absolutely. making it happen, absolutely. and yeah. they want to get an education, you know? But I also think that we do push kids in this society to go to college uh-huh. when maybe it's not necessary. I'm not saying these kids necessarily, but there was a kid in Orange County who took his own life and wrote a letter about how yes. he feels that we're pushing kids in a direction as a society um, that maybe, what if your kid wants to be an artist or a dancer and we're shoving them all into college? We do have to be open to or hearing an electrician them. I might have or a kid a that might not want to go to college. I, I don't know yet but I, I, I see that she doesn't have the love for school that I had as a kid, that might not be her direction. So, you know, and I'm, I, I really want, she's a great athlete and I really want her to get, you know, uh, a scholarship for, you know, uh, sports at some point in time. But what if that's just not her desire? Then I need to not push my desires on her.
1: Well, my, my son has now started college once, started a trade school once, and has now quit both. And you know what? He's a great kid. He's going to figure it out. He's also a Marine Reservist, and people have no idea what our youth are giving up when they join as a Reservist because they pull him in and out of his life. People have no idea. With the government shutdown right now, he he was supposed to, you know, go in this last weekend, and he didn't because the government shut down. And he, so he might be he in school, get,
0: and he might be pulled. So yeah, yeah and they've done that. their lives for sure, the sacrifices these people make. All right, if you want to reach out to any of the gals, she shares ministries, uh, encouraging and uplifting women. Jennifer's in the health industry. Michelle's in the real estate industry. Angie AustinRadio.com.
4: The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT
8: Commerce City, Denver. YMCA of the Rockies is the place to take your family. It's like a destination vacation in your own backyard. This year at SS Park Center, we'll be hosting family snowshoe hikes, backcountry ski meetups, outdoor winter survival trainings, winter ecology hikes, and much more. We'll have guest speakers, excursions for every level of experience, and demos by popular mountaineering equipment brands. Visit ymcarockies.org for more information. That's ymcarockies.org. RG
2: Rejuvenation on the Rocks is a cutting-edge medical facility in Greenwood Village that will have you looking and feeling your best. Roxy O'Brien transforms lives using a non-surgical revolutionary treatment called Cool Sculpting that targets, freezes, and eliminates fat cells in the areas of your body that are resistant to diet and exercise. With this non-invasive and effective procedure, you will start to see a difference fast. And the best part is that as a good news listener, you will receive a buy three, get one free special on your Cool Sculpting package. Call Roxy at Rejuvenation on the Rocks at 720-328-9094 720-328-9094 or go to Rejuvenation on the Rocks that's Rejuvenation on the R-O-X dot com to start your cool sculpting package and be sure to tell Roxy that you are a good news listener to receive your special pricing deal.
8: Hello friends, hello. This is Producer Dave. Um, this is the next installment of my wonderful author series that I've been able to do. I, I have a connection with several PR people who all represent authors of all kinds from all different walks of life and they send me their books all the time and unfortunately Angie can't talk to all of them but I have tried to find some time and I talk to I pick the cream of the crop out of all those books and I I talk to the people Um, and I want to share all these books with you some of them are very very awesome, inspiring, amazing books. And this one is no different. This is actually from a wonderful author named Jeffrey Moore. He wrote this book called We Believed, and it chronicles the journey that he he received a message from God, is from what I understand. And it told him he was going to stop traveling the world and adopt four children and completely change his life. And in in telling the story, though, he is hoping that with this book that it can kind of help us all rekindle our faith and rekindle our our joy for life. And just it, it does so many things it, all within this book. When, so I'm really excited to talk to Jeffrey. And plus, we have special guest host today, our very good friend, Donna Hetzler. How, how are you guys
3: doing today?
2: Awesome. So glad to be here. How about you, Jeffrey?
3: I'm doing great. I'm really excited.
2: Yeah, me too. It's a beautiful day in Colorado. Warming up today, Sun's out, so excited to be here and have the sunshine
8: right. It's nice. It's a I mean, everything is looking good. It's a, another wonderful Monday. so that's awesome. And uh, yep. you know, we get to tackle this this week head on. We were just saying right before we started that so many days have already disappeared in the year. It seems like it's, you know, two weeks. it seems like it was just New Year's, and it goes by so quickly. It does that uh, sometimes a lot of the things I was reading about the book, Kind of, uh, you know, help you slow things down and kind of appreciate it. Is that every, is that right, Jeffrey?
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, patience is something that is very important in our spiritual walk, and I think we overlook that sometimes. We expect things to happen. Uh, instantaneously. I know I do. Uh, We get these calls from God, these words from God, and we feel like, oh, they're going to happen right away. And sometimes they do. That's true. But sometimes we have that element of patience that needs to be built in because God is doing something in our heart that has to be done first before we're ready to receive those things that he is calling us into.
2: I feel like he's constantly doing things in my heart (laughs) because, you know, I'm a run ahead girl, right? So I don't have good patience with that. And I never pay for patience. I always pray, God, let me run ahead. Let me just go for this. I'm your girl. So, yes, I love how you say that God's doing stuff in our hearts in those sacred times of waiting. It's important to wait, even though it's so hard. Isn't that hard for you, too? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's
8: hard to wait. You want it. Everything. You want it now. I mean, even everything, uh, even all the worldly things that we want, you know, you all have to go one day at a time to get those little things. You know, you want more money. Right. Save a penny a day or whatever. And, save or you a penny get, a day. You know, I love you want to get, you know, you want to lose weight. It, it, you can't just lose weight right away. you got to lose weight over time or you know all that everything is funny because that's something that's the good news has really taught me is all those things that you want in life it really takes a little You know, chipping away at whatever it is your goal is every single day and it's a little bit a little bit a little bit until eventually it turns into a lot.
2: Right. Now I'm excited to hear Jeffrey's story too because um, I don't have children but I adopt and and rescue huskies and so there's been times where I've had a husky and when you get a rescue dog typically they have you know anxiety separation and things and so my guy Zorro that I've had for about seven years now when I first got him he was into everything like he pulled out the drawers and nail polish everywhere. I had real estate files scattered across my five acres, and I'm like, I am selling you to the gypsies. So (laughs) to hear this story about, you know, taking on children and building your family and really listening to God's voice, I mean, if he would have said that to me, I'd have been like, hold up, wait a minute, you want me to do what, you know? So (laughs) tell us a little bit about your journey and how uh, God, you heard God's voice and and how, um, how you listened to him.
3: I will. I'm excited to share it because uh, obviously it's a very big part of our life and has been uh, for the last uh, over 10 years now. So in May of 2007, we had this amazing experience. My wife and I were spending some time seeking the Lord Mm -hmm. a little bit more closely, spending more time with Him, just kind of feeling that need to uh, get closer to Him and just listen more carefully to see what He had you know, plans for us. Uh, we were married, obviously, we had one son at the time, he was three, okay. and I uh, know, thinking about other children, but, but none in, in the plans or in the future that we knew about, but. God was beginning to prick our heart about expanding our family. Hmm. And in May of 2007, I had this vision that God gave me. I knew it was a vision because I was, I was awake, I wasn't sleeping, um, and it was really, really powerful. And I talk about that in the book quite a bit. I go through all the details of the vision, but I'll give you the short summary of that. And it was like this, I was floating in the, in the ocean at night, It was very calm though, but I was being carried by like a current underwater. The scene was dark and I washed up onto a a beach of a deserted tropical island. And when I looked around on the sand, what I noticed was there were these jewels or gemstones that were lying all across the sand. And these weren't like small things like an engagement ring. These were enormous, like the size of a golf ball. Goodness. They were uh, huge. And the most interesting thing about them is they were glowing with an internal fire, internal light. So in this dark scene, I just looked around on the sand and there are all these gemstones just lying around glowing in the dark. And I just felt compelled to to reach down and pick one up. And as I reached down to pick one up, the vision ended and God spoke something to my spirit that was so profound. I still remember it uh, all these years later. He said, my son, are you willing to be carried by my spirit to a land far away to pick up the jewels that no one else even knows about. Hmm. And when he said that, it was like he pulled back the curtain of heaven for just a moment, and I knew that adoption was what was in our future that he was calling us to go to another country another place and and find these children that were jewels in his eyes and bring them into our home
2: now jeffrey just give us a little clips of what you were doing when that vision came because my vi- my husband has visions and i think it's interesting because if i talk about it it just sounds like yeah right you know when you hear that so listeners might be going okay where you in your lazy boy kicked back and you just saw something where you dozing. I mean, tell us, I know this This interview isn't about visions, but just tell me a quick, you know, glimpse of what you were doing and how all of a sudden you saw this.
3: Of course. Um, it was actually uh, early in the morning. So uh, my wife and I were uh, getting up in the night and spending some time in the night hours with the Lord—that's what we felt called to do in that month. And so it was actually in the middle of the night, and I—I I was sitting in a recliner. You uh, were, see, so you were right. Yes. <laughs> you were right.
7: Um,
3: I had my Bible out, you know. I was reading through the Bible. Um, I was journaling some things. The Lord was was telling me and speaking to my spirit, and yeah, it was like. Um, like I said, it wasn't a dream because I was, I was fully awake, Right. but I was just, I was seeing things, you know, that weren't in my living room, you know, and, and in my spirit, I was experiencing those things that that the Lord was just speaking to me.
2: So how did you, um, at what point did you go, okay, this is about a child. This is about adopting not just one, but four children,
3: Right, exactly. Exactly. So in the beginning, we had this vision. And so we had this idea of adoption and we began to think about that and explore that. Um, At the same time, God told us to go to a country in West Africa, to Burkina Faso, later that year. Um, which we did, we kind of put those two puzzle pieces together and said, okay, well, they must be connected. And we're going to Africa to adopt a child, you know? And so we told everyone that. We told our family, we told our friends, you know, this is what we believe we're doing. We're, we think we're going to go and possibly come back with an adopted child.
2: Oh my goodness. I love that about you because I'm Italian and I argue with God all the time. <laughs> but like Moses, when you argue, you miss sometimes miss the blessings of stuff. So you just jumped right in. You're like, okay, I'm on board.
3: We jumped right in. And, you know, we had this idea. Now we were woefully unaware of the process required for international adoption. It is quite a lengthy process. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. There's a lot of paperwork that has to be done. And we didn't know anything about that. So we were just like, okay, got two pieces of the puzzle. We're going to put them together and, and see if they fit. We went and nothing happened. We volunteered at an orphanage. We stayed with some missionaries. Mm-hmm. We helped out in the community. We spoke at a church there. Um, but we never felt like we connected with uh, a child, an orphan that was available to be adopted, that was to be ours. And- so, are you
2: doubting your vision at this point?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would have
2: been. I'd been yeah. like, okay, so of I course. came here. I have and- a question
8: though, because you you keep saying we like you have this one perfect unit with between you and your wife, and um, I have a very excellent, very solid marriage. However, I couldn't imagine going through that without any kind of strife. How did this re- affect your relationship with your wife? And were you always on board together the whole time? Or how did that work out?
3: That's a great question. Um, we, we've always had a very close marriage. We've had challenges, of course, like everyone has. Um, from the beginning of the vision, we were on board. So when that happened, I told my wife, Christine, that I'd, I'd experienced something from God. I believed he was telling us something uh, for, our, for our future. But I was going to wait till she kind of got some, some words about that, too. And so some time went by, and then I sat down. I shared everything the Lord had said and the vision and, and the confirmations that I'd been receiving from him. And she said she was very much on board. She said, I, I feel like this is the right thing as well.
2: So God so, had been stirring God her been stirring heart her. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Interestingly enough, we earlier in our marriage, before we had any children, um, we had had two miscarriages. And during those, that season, when we were thinking about children, um, my wife Christine had asked, what do you think about adoption? And I had said at that time, I don't think I can do that. I don't know that I can you know, love a child that's not mine biologically. Mm-hmm. Well, God obviously radically changed that uh, <laughs> in my journey, which was just beautiful. And the result has been beautiful. So yeah, we, we were very much uh, together on um, in, in the whole journey. And, and we've gone through a different process Um, The process has looked a little bit different for each of us in terms of how we have adjusted to the the process and adjusted to bringing additional children into our home. Uh, Originally, we just thought it might be one. And then as we went along, you know, a few years, God began to talk to us about multiple children. Oh, my goodness. And And you guys
2: were still on the same page about that, like not even one, but let's maybe do four.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We were still on the same page, but I like to kind of equate our journey to putting a puzzle together, but without seeing the picture. Yes. on the box right so we felt like that god was giving us all these pieces to the puzzle right and we'd put them on the table and we'd say okay these must fit together and we'd put them together and then we'd find some more and we'd put those together and sometimes that was right and other times god would come in later and give us another piece and we'd be like oh uh, those didn't really fit together the way we thought they were going to, <laughs> and so we'd have to take some pieces apart, you know, and then, but over time, as we just began to collect all these pieces to the puzzle, you know, and things that God would tell us and speak to us and, and we'd feel in our spirit, um, the whole picture began to become clear. Yeah. And, uh, but it really wasn't until the very end where we actually a- agreed, uh, our agency found this group of four children that we adopted and that we, uh, began to look at their story and see how their story fit into our story in terms of timing and things like that, that we really said, wow, this is really what God is doing. And we are really going to bring four extra kids into our family um, in addition to the one that we had at that time. Wow. wait, and- wait how long did
8: this entire thing take from it was, the time that you had the jewel mm-hmm, vision until you mm-hmm. actually came home?
3: It was it gonna- 10 years, Ow, 10 years. Wow. It was May of 2007 when I had the vision. And uh, it was right at the end of May of 2017 when we went to Peru and spent a month in Peru, uh, finishing the process, completing the process, and then bringing the children home here wow. today. So, so it's calendar.
8: not been quite two years since you brought the children home.
3: It's just 18 months yeah, since we got home with them.
2: Oh nice. my goodness. And then the children and writing a book and all that right, he's done. Yeah, and if you're just tuning in, it's We Believed, our 10-year journey pursuing God's promises to adopt four children. Our author and guest today is Jeffrey S. Moore, and it's so good to have him in studio. So um, so this whole faith journey of 10 years and putting this you know, these pieces together and you know one thing I've learned when God speaks into your life about here's where I want you to go whether it's a vision where it's um, you know that inner voice whatever it is however he speaks to you about where he's taking you um, if it involves like adopting children this big life change uh, he will have your partner's heart ready he will be preparing it and so that's super important to remember and that it is a journey so what did you learn in all of this Um, gosh I love your faith Jeffrey I just love how you jumped in I can learn from that and lean on that that. But um, what do you you want to tell our audience about your book and what you learned in this whole process?
3: Oh, I'd I'd love to share. Um, The most important thing I think I learned is that God is completely faithful Mm. and that everyone, um, I believe, has promises from God, things in their life that he has said to them, you know, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to to advance my kingdom in the world, you know, and spread my love and share the love of Jesus um, to those around you. And it can be anything. It can be uh, it can be being a parent. You know, it can be starting a business. Uh, it can be uh, ministering in a church, you know, or, or as a missionary. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways um, that God calls us to minister. But God is completely faithful. And the words that he says to you, they will happen and they will come true. Our part of the process is like Hebrews um, 6 talks about that, through faith and patience is how we inherit the promises of God. And when we combine faith and that trust in God, that his words are true and that he is working on our behalf and that patience, which means sometimes we have to wait, uh, even when he's told us something, it may not be right now. We have to wait and allow him to work in our hearts to make us the people that that he wants us to be. Again, so that when we are ready, uh, when that or when he's ready with with that part of the process, that part of our journey, that we're the people that he wants us to be, because that's the journey is probably just as important as the the end result. Oh, absolutely! That's awesome. Yeah. So,
8: okay, uh, we only we're running out of time, really quick, but I just wanted to get to first. Can you tell us how, what the kinds of things that other, anyone who reads this book is going to get and how it can, will rekindle their faith so that they could have a fraction of the faith that you have, which is admirable, but then also where you can get it and things like that, you know, where we can find you for what you're doing next?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, some of the things you're going to hear in the book are, you know, of course, it chronicles our story, but I wrote it with this idea in mind to encourage others. I want others to be able to dream big with God, you know, and be willing and and able to say, "Wow, that thing that God told me is really big, but I think I can do it, you know, and i, I i'm gonna I'm gonna walk in faith and and walk with him, and he's gonna work through me, you know, to do amazing, incredible things I couldn't do on my own. Um, you're gonna learn how to hear God's voice a little bit more clearly. Um, you're going to learn how to, to mix this faith and patience you know, together. Um, there's just all kinds of different um, I try to share everything that I learned in the journey. Right. So really, it's, it's part of it's my spiritual growth you know, over the last 10 years. Um, and so I try to share those things, those little nuggets of wisdom and, and truth that uh, anyone can pick up and read and, and say, wow, I can apply that you know, to my life today
2: awesome that is going to be a good read and I also like how you know all this kind of came down at a time where things weren't financially going very well for you and so I love how you just stepped out in faith and I was trying to look at a quote that um, the publicist had sent me and I can't find it but it was something about you can't wait on financial uh, perfection or having your ducks in a row basically before you know you step into faith and into what God has for you so can you expand on that a little
7: bit, yeah.
3: I think it was um, the God doesn't check your pocket, your checkbook before He gives that, you a yeah, calling. Yes, I was, you know? I read
2: that and yes. I was like, I love that <laughs>
3: because you know He is going to resource you and provide for whatever He calls you to. Um, if it's His call, it's His plan for your life, He's going to provide those things. Now, we still have a part to work and partner with Him and, and things like that, but um, yeah, our experience has been really remarkable um, the way that He has provided for us in that journey, uh, and then after bringing the kids home the way that he has worked in our lives, and our family's lives, has um, just been incredible. There probably will be another book uh, coming out in the future. I'm
2: sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, too, and it's We Believed, and Jeffrey, where can we get in touch with you?
3: So you can go to my website at webelievedbook.com. Okay. Uh, the book is also available on Amazon.com as both paperback and ebook. book uh, It's available in other e-reader formats as well. So you can find it several places online and there's some bookstores here in town that are starting to carry it Uh, The Barnes & Noble and Aurora carries it and I'm working on some other title covers gonna carry it later this month.
2: Oh good Yes, We Believe, Jeffrey S. Moore. I can't wait to read it I know it's gonna expand my faith and help me with that. Oh, patience Patience. That I need so so very much in a a life uh, that is fast-paced and we want everything now And so I'm excited to read We Believe. Thank you Jeffrey for coming on today and hanging out with us
8: you're yes, welcome. Thank you, Jeffrey. Us. And thank you, Donna, for coming in. It was such a wonderful interview. And you guys go get We Believed uh, and look up, I'm sorry, We
0: Believed
1: 238 Jane. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need.
3: Furniture, small, big. Medium. Um, yep. Uh,
0: a small, big, medium. Yes, they'll ma'am. bring the truck right on over. What's yes, the ma'am. number? 303
3: 238 Jane.
0: Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303 238 Jane. 303 238 Jane. Arcdrift.org. Does cool. uh, arc make you feel special? Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought so. The are special. Arkthrift.org. As, As are org. you, ma'am. As are you. Oh, thank you. Do you love working for arc? I love Hey, it's Angie. Welcome back to the good news. You know, January, this time of year in general, it's the height of the cold and flu season. Joining us today in the sponsored interview with Timely Winter Wellness Tips is the TV host known as Dr. V, Dr. Yael Vernado. She's a physician at Johns Hopkins, founder of AskDrV.com and the nonprofit Get Checked for Life. And you've probably seen her all on shows like The Dr. Oz Show, The Today Show, CNN, The Steve Harvey Show, and now our show. Welcome, Dr. V. Angie, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you today. All right, so we know the winter weather months are associated with getting sick, so talk to us about some of the keys for us staying healthy during this chilly time of the year.
9: You're exactly right. You know, a lot of people are just spending more time indoors, and so the more that we're indoors, the more that we're with each other, we're just sharing our germs back and forth, and you know, that ends up with people being sick, and being sick, so fun, it's uncomfortable, you know, you start blowing your nose, it's sore and red, Um, and so in my practice, I recommend and keep stocked up, you know, puffs plus lotion. Um, and I love it because it's dermatologist tested to be gentle on sensitive skin and it has that touch of lotion that helps comfort and soothe irritated noses, which Angie, as you know, is makes a huge difference when you're sick. Um, because, of course, a nose in me deserves the comfort of puffs, indeed.
0: <laughs> yeah, and my, my kids and my mom get the the red nose if they get too sick, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll, give them a, I'll give them a try. Or right, let's Definitely talk about do. an important tip Uh, that you give your patients to survive the cold and flu season.
9: Once you start to feel the onset of symptoms, it's really to get important to get ahead of it. Uh, and so I actually all week have been taking it, and I recommend Ocilococcinum because it reduces the severity and the duration of symptoms. So it's going to actually clinically reduce that fatigue, headache, fever, chills, and body ache that you can get. Um, and it's the number one pharmacist-recommended brand, uh, and it's for everybody ages two and up. Um, so it's easy for kids to take it. It. You don't even need water with it. It's just um, a couple, uh, almost like pellets that you put underneath your tongue, and they dissolve. Um, and it's non-drowsy and it doesn't interfere with other medications. So, as I say, the onset of the first flu-like symptoms, I'm popping that and I'm taking that at home.
0: Can you use it? Okay, first of all, I, 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 full full disclosure here: we're addicted to it. My whole family takes it. There's six of us in the house, and so we've gone through it. two of the big boxes so far this year because it's like 36 in the big boxes. So we've used seven. 72, and I've just ordered another. Oh, wow. My kids Good like it because, like you said, you just stick it, like, under your tongue. You let it dissolve. It's sweet. They don't mm-hmm. mind the flavor. I've been mm-hmm. using it for years. And I'm glad that you pronounced it because I don't know how to pronounce it. So say it again. <laughs>
9: Ozylococcinum. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a mouthful. It is. Okay. What about <laughs> so what?
0: if you have cold symptoms? Like, okay, so it's not full So I've been taking it even for like, if I feel the sniffles coming on, if my throat hurts, can you do that too?
9: Well, you know, you, the proof is in the pudding, but I will tell you that it definitely has been clinically shown to reduce flu symptoms. So the, like we said, the fatigue, the fever, chills, the body ache, it's definitely going to reduce the severity and duration of that.
0: Okay, well, i have haven't gotten sick really this year. So, all right, what's next? <laughs>
9: wash your hands and with little ones in the house you know how you know how they're they're germ factories and they're passing everything around they're touching everything hands are in their mouth most important thing that you can do to decrease transmission of the flu is by washing your hands Uh, and so I in my office keep a quality antibacterial soap like dial complete two-in-one foaming hand wash and it kills 99.99% of bacteria but I also love it because it's two-in-one it has a moisturizing and antibacterial formula so it foams up into this rich, thick, creamy lather, but it doesn't dry out my hands. So although I wash my hands multiple times during the day, they're not getting dry. And, of course, it smells good. I mean, who doesn't love something that smells good? It's um, a pearl essence that I love, and then this new one they just launched that's mint and shea. So that is our go-to to make sure that we're not passing germs along.
0: You know, it's funny. My daughter's come up with a name for She uses the hand sanitizers and cleansers at school, and she's come up with a name for all of these things. She calls them hanitizers. I'm like, oh, wait, oh, they should call it that hanitizer.
9: That's so sweet. That is fabulous. Oh, I love that. <laughs> All right, we have time for another
0: tip. Do you have any more wellness tips?
9: Yes. So it's important to boost your immune system in these winter months. I mean, we are, we're not even to, you know, the peak of flu season. So if you can boost your immune system with like a punch of vitamin C um, by adding Welch's 100% grape juice, you know, you're going to get more antioxidants than other fruit juices like acai and blueberry. And just one eight ounce glass of Welch's 100% grape juice gives you 120% of your daily value of vitamin C. So that is going to give you vitamin c that you need it's going to boost your immune system easy and great to incorporate into your routine and will keep your family healthy
0: yes and obviously a healthy diet keeps us healthier in general makes sense to me is there a website we can go to for more info
9: yes angie you know for all of the winter wellness tips we talked about today check out TipsOnTV.com.
0: TipsOnTV.com. thank you dr v thank you have a great day stay thank healthy you
5: 18 plus.